Is that better? I thought it would enhance the sermon for some folks for you not to be able to hear it. Uh, anyway, I, so uh, this morning's uh, um, sermon is from uh, Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. It's actually printed in the bulletin. Uh, so if you, if you don't want to try and find it real quick, or if you're not interested in reading it out of a completely different translation than I use, um, it's right there. There's also one of these handy-dandy outlines, which I'm going to do my darndest to stick with a little better than I did last week. Um, and it'll probably get better in, in stages. Uh, two weeks ago, um, we started this series that we're doing on sort of the foundations of the faith, the basics, the, the things that we all have to be on the same page on, right? And, and the first week we talked about Jesus. Jesus is the center of our, of our faith. We're saved through Christ by faith alone. That's, that's it, right? That's how, how we're forgiven for sin. That's how we go to heaven. It's, it's through faith in Jesus. Like, that's it. Um, and, and last week, um, last week we continued talking about sort of the basics of the faith and we talked about, um, reading the scriptures, right? And, and in reading the scriptures is how we grow spiritually. Um, now, normally when you do sort of the foundations of the faith, you do a lot of theology, and I, I didn't want to do that. And, and since I'm standing up front, we're going to do something a little different. Um, we're going to do practical. Um, prayer is what we're going to be talking about this week, because prayer is, is, is foundational as it gets. If you want to see a church that's doing great things in the name of Jesus, like, like really great things in the name of Jesus, not just putting on a show and attracting a crowd, but like like, you know, really evangelizing, really sharing Christ, really making a difference in folks' lives. You're going to find a core of folks in that church who are praying, and are praying ceaselessly, who are, like, going to God, because prayer is what brings God to our side, right? And ultimately, like, when we do effective things, when we make a difference in people's lives, when we, when we impact that, that really ugly divorce statistic that's around right now, and when we um, help people who are addicted to stuff, and when we bring people, like, into faith, it's as a result of the Holy Spirit, not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome and sometimes he works through us. And prayer is how we make that happen. So we're going to be talking about prayer this morning. And I figured I'd start with a, with a story. I, don't have, I looked at different prayer stories to start with, and most of them felt kind of cheesy. So I thought I'd share my own. Um, and I've got to be careful because I'm recording this, and someone who I knew in college may hear this and call me to the carpet. Um, so I've got to be accurate. So um, when I was in college... I had a uh, I had an old car. I called it Gracie. It was actually I named it Gracie because it was by the grace of God that it continued to work. Um, I, I paid five hundred dollars for that car. It was a Buick LeSabre, um, and I think Larry's got a Buick sitting behind his garage. I saw it and had a flashback the other day. Um, and and this Buick, um, I well, I was one of the only guys in my dorm who didn't have or who owned a car. And and one night I'm watching a um, TV with my roommate, and this young lady came to our room, and, and I'm going to admit, since my wife's not in the room, this is a young lady I was trying to go out with, right? And, and she asked me to drive her to the supermarket, and I was more than happy to oblige, right? Because I was trying to spend time with her, and going to the supermarket was a good excuse. And, and no, the car breaking down and going any, it's not that kind of story. <laughs> um, so, so I agree, and we go out of the room, and her roommate's waiting in the hallway, and, and she says, oh, he agreed to take us to the store. And I thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I got suckered into this. And before you know it, I've got a crowd of teenage girls riding in the car with me. Because um, we get out to the lobby, and they're all like, oh, I, we're going? You know, <laughs> all right. So, so I'm a, you know, 20-year-old guy with, you know, four 19-year-old girls in my car. It was a good evening. And, <laughs> and, and we went to the, I'm glad my wife's not in here. 
they can't hear this in the nursery, can they? <laughs> um, so we, we drive to the supermarket, right? And we go in. And I remember the girl bought chocolate Pop-Tarts. This is 15, 20 years ago. And I remember she bought chocolate Pop-Tarts. The thing I really remember is when we go back out to the car, all these girls with their groceries, and we get in and I turn the key and the car turns over and turns over and turns over and turns over and doesn't start. And, and for me, this was a, this was a good moment. You know, I thought, not because of the car breaking down, but because I, I fixed things. And it was a relatively new hobby for me, but I'd read a lot, and I was pretty, you know, adept at this point at fixing things. So I said, oh, hold on, I'll fix it. You know, I thought I'd look all cool and suave. So I opened the hood of the car, and the young lady who I, I was interested in, I had her sit behind the wheel, and, you know, I started messing with it and trying different things. And I'm like, all right, well, turn the key now. And, you know, she turned the key, and, and, and I'm messing with stuff. And I, I think I looked pretty cool for the first five or six minutes. Um, at 15 minutes, I looked significantly less cool, and the girls looked a lot more bored. <laughs> at about 20 minutes, some folks we knew came by and offered to give us a ride back, and the girls left. <laughs> and at about, I don't know, 23 minutes, it started raining. And, and it's pretty late at night. I'm under a light, you know, those big pole lights they have in supermarket parking lots. Um, and, and I'm under this light, and it's raining on me, and I'm trying to get the car started, and nothing I will do will work. And I'm, I'm trying this, I'm trying that, and, and as time goes on, I'm getting wetter, and I'm getting angry. Um, I'm just the guys in the room. Have you guys ever been in that spot where something should be working, and it's not, and you get that sort of, uh, you know, I think I saw Larry there the other day with his tractor. <laughs> you know, and, and you're... You're messing with it, and it's just not getting any better. It keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going, and you get more and more frustrated. And I, I, I finally, like, I'm, I'm livid. You know, I was, I was kind of a hothead as a kid. Not anymore. Again, glad Jess isn't here. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm livid, and I'm sitting behind the wheel, and I'm very frustrated, and I'm not thinking real clearly. And I I'm, got my little book out, and I'm reading, and, and I, I finally, just in anger, I turn the key and hold it. And the car turns over and turns over and turns over, and then it turns over a little slower, and then it turns over a little slower, and then it stops turning over, and now I'm really stuck, right? Because, because I, I can't start the car without a jump start, right? And, and I'm by myself, and the supermarket's long closed. It's late. I mean, I've been out there a while, and, and it's raining. It's just absolutely pouring. And I'm, I realize, well, I gotta get the car towed. So I get out my AAA card, which tells you how dumb this story is, because I could have had it towed for free. Um, and I get out my card and I start looking for change for the payphone. And I'm so mad, I, I punch the dashboard, right? And it was one of those old 1970s card, cars with a vinyl dashboard, so I broke it. You know, like collapsed. And I, I thought that was dumb. That was, that was really dumb. And I thought, I'm, I'm just going to call a tow truck. I'm going to go home. And, and as I'm about to get out of the car, I get this thought in my head. I think, you know, I really should pray about this. And I, you ever have a thought like that and get kind of mad about it in the immediate? Like, I don't really want to. I want to go home. You know, and, and I just really, you know, hood open under this light in the pouring rain. I sat there and crossed my arms. I'm like, God, I do not want to tow my car. Can you please get me out of this situation? And I'm not even done saying it. And this little Toyota comes tearing across this parking lot. And they're doing 60. I mean, it was ridiculous. And they literally slid up to my car. And I'm still sitting behind the wheel, and these three guys get out, and they just immediately, like, they get out of the car, and they're all three under the hood of my car, and, and they all have toolboxes. I'm not making this up. And and I'm still sitting there. I get out, and I'm like, what are you people doing? You know, and they're... They're they're from the bar in the corner of the parking lot, and they're they're clearly 
not feeling any pain. And, and they're swearing a lot at me, at the car, at each other. And they're, like, fixing my car. And I'm like, I, well, hold on, I try, shut up, you know, we know what we're doing, leave us alone. And they, and they won't talk to me. I'm trying to talk to these guys, and they're, you know, doing their thing. And I'm, I'm trying to make suggestions, and they won't talk to me. They're just ignoring me like I'm not even there. About five minutes later, they figure out what's wrong, and they go to jumpstart me. And I, I stop the guy, and the, these guys should not have been driving, but I wasn't going to say anything at that point. <laughs> um, stop the guy who was about to get behind the wheel of his, his car to jumpstart me, and I, I kind of put my hand on his shoulder. I'm like, who are you guys? And it was the only sentence I heard these guys say the whole time without one of them swearing. And he just looks at me in very deadpan says, we're from God. And he gets in his car and jumpstarts me and takes off. And, and I... I think that it was probably something he said because he thought it was funny. But, but it was, you know, it was true, right? There are these moments sometimes when we pray and God like, like jumps in and he's right there. But to my experience, that's a percentage, right? And it's not like the 90 percentage. <laughs> um, a lot of times we pray and we wait. And, and I think sometimes there's this perception that prayer ought to be a certain way, right? Um, and certainly it is the case that God answers prayer, and certainly it is the case that God sometimes waits. Certainly it is the case that God sometimes says no. Um, but we're going to look at what, what the scriptures have to say about prayer, and we're going we're to go based on that, because my anecdote is kind of neat, but it's not Bible, right? Um, in Luke chapter 11, we see where um, Jesus is out, and one of his disciples approaches him. Now, They've been, they've been out and they've been performing miracles and they've been doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, literally performing miracles. And the disciples ask him, how do we pray? They're not asking how to perform miracles. They're not, I mean, they're not asking any of the fancy, exciting stuff. They're asking about prayer. Which, I mean, if there's anything that's going to set it in the priority list of what Jesus thought was important, um, prayer, like the fact that the disciples got that prayer was it, should say something. You know, it's not the flashy thing. It's it's the thing that Jesus did every day, for hours, every day. Um, so one of his disciples, all right, verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. Um, now, after this, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows that? You know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be... And, and everybody knows it a slightly different way, so if you see it, say it in a mixed company of Christians, you got to kind of pause at debts or sins or trespasses, and you got to pause at that last part to make sure you don't contradict them. Um, and this one is actually slightly different from the one we normally say, right? Like if you say the, the written Lord's Prayer, there's a variation here, and that's because it's not the same time. Um, Jesus taught this prayer two to three times during the course of his ministry, um, and this is probably the second time. And this disciple was either one of his disciples who was hard-headed and really wanted something different than what he was going to get, or more likely, the uh, John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist, some of his disciples followed Jesus eventually. And more likely, it was one of John the Baptist's followers who picked up later along the way. And he says to Jesus, teach us how to pray, just like John taught his disciples to pray. So like, you know, hey, John taught us how to pray. Why don't you teach us how to pray? Everybody with me? And Jesus does something a little different. It was traditional for rabbis or teachers to teach these written prayers. And you would have about a dozen memorized prayers you'd break out once in a while. You know, and, and so it'd be time to eat and you'd have this memorized prayer. If, if you want to see a couple of really good examples of this, actually go to a, uh, there's not one out here, a synagogue. 
If you go to synagogue, in synagogues they have written prayers that they memorize and that they say. Um, and, and actually, if you pay attention to Jewish folks enough, you'll start to catch the patterns in the Hebrew, and you're like, oh, I, I've heard that one before, because they memorize these prayers. Jesus doesn't teach them a prayer necessarily to memorize. Now, naturally, we've memorized it and say it, but, but the intent here is a pattern. Um, for those of you guys who are following along in the outline, he begins with teaching them a pattern for praying. He says, listen, when you pray, do it like this. He doesn't say, say these words. He says, this is how you should do it. And so the Lord's Prayer, obviously it's something we can memorize and we can say. Any of you guys ever had this moment in life when everything's so crummy that you can't hardly talk anymore? Is that just me? <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis once said that memorized prayer, the value of it is, is when you're hurting so bad or when you're so like stuck that you can't think of the words to say. Like You, you can memorize scripture and just say it. Or you can memorize prayers and you can just say them because you can fit them in where you can't talk yourself. Or you can't even bring it to your own words, right? So there's value in knowing the memorized part. The pattern, however, is huge. Um, Why is it such a big deal? Well, because it's how Jesus taught us to pray. Um, So the prayer, the pattern here, starts out with, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Everybody with me? You probably heard it as hallowed is your name, right? Holy, hallowed, it's more or less the same word. Um, what he's starting with here is our Father. First off, Jesus had this real familiarity with God. He referred to him as Father. In some places he talked about him as Abba, Father, right? Abba is like the, the um, Yiddish word for daddy. Nobody talked about God that way. And, you know, in the context of this especially, you see where Jesus starts talking about fathers giving gifts to their children a little later in the chapter. There's a real familiarity here that no Jewish people did. You just didn't talk about God this way. And part of what Jesus is telling us is, listen, when you approach God, you're approaching him like he's your father, like he's your daddy. Like when Abby comes up to me and, and she knows me different than she knows anyone else, I hope, and she'll point at something and do her little like gibberish words, and she knows I'm going to give her what she needs, right? It's part of, part of how things work, because I'm her dad. That's, as Jesus begins, our Father, that's how we're supposed to approach God. That's the beginning of our pattern. God is our Father. God loves us. God cares about us like a father cares for his infant. Like, like that kind of love is how he comes at us. I didn't never understand that until I became a parent, and I held that squirmy, like, slimy little thing in my hands for the first time, and it's like, wow, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. And it, it sort of numbed me almost, it was so much. That was for about half of you who have kids and understand what I mean, right? It just changes everything. Um, but that's, that's the framework that Jesus sets it in. Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. First off, when we say holy is your name, I can't make God's name holy, right? It's a little like me taking a bucket of salt water and trying to dump it into a bucket of you know, clean water and make it clean by dumping my salt water in. I'm not holy. God is holy. I'm not making his name holy, right? Um, nor am I just pl- proclaiming that God's name is holy. If you go back into Ezekiel, I think it's 36, Ezekiel like has a spot where God says, listen, because of my people, the nations profane my name, but I'm going to step in and change my people so that my name will be holy amongst the nations. When we say holy is your name, part of what we're asking for is for God to make us the kind of people where folks look at him and say, their God must be pretty impressive. Like, this is a petition for God to change us to be like him, holy. 
Um, and it's a big deal, but how many, I mean, we never really think about that because it sometimes becomes a memorized prayer. But talking to God is about like this personal father relationship. And so there was a moment in my life when I was a kid and I, I, we lived in, um, I think it was when we lived in, in Texas when I was a real little kid and I, I used a word to refer to another young man that was, that was pretty inappropriate. And my dad brought me into his study. He heard about it. He brought me into his study. And he sat me down. And it was sort of that Ward Cleaver moment where he said, you know, men don't talk like that. And if you're going to be a man, you can't talk like that. You can't use those words because that's not how men are. You know, and that's not how we talk. And, and honestly, you know, that stuck with me, right? My dad changed who I was. So when I approach God and say, holy is your name, what I'm asking for is that moment where God changes me. And makes it so people honor him because of my life. Um, this is also important because it, it sets this, this stage. A big part of this early prayer is pointing toward the end of the world, right? There's, there's a degree to which people aren't really going to take God all that seriously until he comes again. And, and this was a common thing for prayers at the time, but Jesus does it a little different. Um, your kingdom come is the next line. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. He doesn't add the your will be done, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's your kingdom come. And this is a another tough one, right? Because kingdom, when I think of kingdom, I think King Arthur, right? I think big plot of land. And a lot of folks read this passage and they misinterpret it. They're called um, dominionists. There are a lot of politicians in America today that are dominionists. And they believe that their job is to make God's kingdom exist right here, right now, in this world. And it's our job to, you know, establish an earthly kingdom if by force necessary. You know, if by force if necessary. Right? They, they've got this weird idea. That's not what he's talking about. Um, kingdom refers to God's dominion, right? God's authority, God's, like, kingship. Um, but it's something that happens in our lives. It's something that happens in, in our communities, but not by force, but as a result of his spirit moving in on us. And that actually sort of fits with your name be holy, if you think about it, right? Let your name be holy and, and make this world the kind of place where people would revere your name, make our lives into the kind of lives that people see them, and they're like, oh my gosh, their God must be pretty awesome. You know, maybe I should take this seriously. Um, your will be done. I, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Um, what this is a request for? How many of you guys worry about eating on a daily basis? Let me back this up real quick. I mean, I mean, does anybody miss meals often because they can't afford them? We we definitely live in a part of the world where God's providing for us, right? You know, even if you got nothing, you know, usually someone's going to feed you. And, and that's amazing. God has given us abundance like you wouldn't even believe. And I think there's sometimes a tendency to take this for granted. Part of what we're praying for isn't, you know, give me when I'm falling short. It's everything I have, I have because you gave it to me. Right? So I'm healthy now because you gave it to me. I have a job and I eat because you gave it to me. Um, I suspect that maybe some of the farmers would understand that a little better. I have crops because it rains. And if it doesn't rain, I don't have crops. And, you know, ultimately, that's a gift from God. I'm not getting that if he ain't giving it. And so as we're asking for God to provide for our daily bread, part of that is acknowledging, God, I got nothing without you. If you're not providing for me, I've got nothing. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to starve. I'm going to lose everything. And the only reason I have anything is because you gave it to me. I mean, in the world, we like to rely on ourselves. You know, I, I like to think, well, I have a job because I work hard. You know, I, I, uh, 
people listen to me talk because I'm clever, maybe, or short in the amount of time I take. Um, but, but ultimately, like these things happen because God provides for us. Um, and when God stops providing, it just won't be there. And so as we approach God and say, give me this daily bread, it's thank you for taking care of me. By the way, for those of you following along in the outline, um, prayer begins with praise, right? Our Father who is in heaven, that's praise. Martin Luther once said, um, sometimes when I pray, instead of praying, I just sing. Why? Because when we worship at the beginning, that's a part of praying, right? That's raising up our voices and worshiping. That's prayer. Anytime we take time to worship God. And like prayer that starts without worship, kind of wrong-headed. Like if we sit down to pray, any of you guys ever, like sometimes I'll sit down to pray and the first thing I'll say is, all right, God, this is what's wrong and I need you to fix it. Instead of saying, God, thank you for what I have. God, you're awesome. You know, thank you for being the God you are. And I say, well, God, this is, it's all about me right now. Look over here. Not, hey, I'm going to take a minute to appreciate you, right? So prayer begins with praise. Um, God's kingdom refers to his lordship, and that's what we're looking for over and over again. Because all of prayer, all of faith centers around Christ, and it centers around how great God is and him changing us. And then um, we must depend on God for our every needs is our daily bread, right? Lead us not into temptation. This is where he ends this one. We're not going to go beyond that, right? Lead us not into temptation. This is tricky, for a couple reasons. First off, temptation and difficulty perfects our faith. Isn't that right? I mean, I've had some really crummy days that have made me trust God a little more. <laughs> Honestly, sitting in that parking lot in the rain and being pretty ticked off and looking like an idiot in front of this group of girls, right? And then having God provide because I thought I could do it on my own and then God provided for me. That miserable evening in the rain did a lot for my faith. Um, Walking with my wife through the hospital for 50 hours while she was in labor and wondering if things were going to go well, because 50 hours is way too long to be in labor, like, and then holding the baby alive in my hands, that did a lot for my faith. Um, difficulty shapes us. Sometimes, honestly, losing things. Um, Jess was pregnant before we had Abby, and we lost our baby. It was the worst thing I've ever experienced. Right? I've never hurt that bad in my life. Um, and I, I can't imagine ever, ever hurting that bad again. But like afterwards, I sat down and I talked to a pastor friend of mine and he said, you know, I, I lost, he lost a 16 year old daughter. He said, it changed me because I needed heaven to be real after that. Before then I could talk about it and it was pretty nice. But once my 16 year old was gone, I knew that she was in heaven. And if she wasn't in heaven, I had a problem and it changed me. Um, difficulty, as crummy as it is, changes us. Um, and so when it says, lead us not into temptation, part of this is temptation changes us. We shouldn't say, oh, don't hurt me. Make life easy. I want the easy road, God. <laughs> Keep me on the concrete and off the gravel, Jesus. Um, we sh- you know, there's a degree to which that stuff helps us. But at the same time, I don't like it. And I don't want God to push me into it if I don't have to. Um, even Christ himself said, um, you know, he's ready to go to the cross. He says, God, let this cup go somewhere else. If there's any way but going to the cross, don't make me do it. But your will, not mine, be done. Which you could almost stick after every line in this prayer, right? Give me this day our daily bread, but your will, not mine, be done. Um, provide for what I need if you want it. Don't lead me in temptation. Make my life relatively easy if that's your will. You know, save this person if that's what you want. Make me better if that's what you want. Um, because ultimately all of prayer shifts us into this focus away from us and onto Jesus. And because we focus on God, he provides for us. 
Um, one last thing on this, I'm going to move on. Um, Jesus talked about becoming like children. Um, Abby, when Abby's hungry, you know, she knows I'm feeding her. You know, or Jess, maybe. Um, but one of us is feeding her. She's not getting food on her own. She needs us. In the same way as we come to God in prayer, the pattern here is God provides. If he isn't providing, we're not getting it. So Jesus doesn't stop at this prayer. He moves on and he tells a parable, which is number two there, the parable. Um, And the parable is about a man. Let me get here and read it. Um, Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves and a friend of mine has come to see me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. From inside he answers and says, do not bother me. Actually, the translation of that should be, you're bothering me, stop it. (laughs) The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Any of you guys ever had a baby and had the baby down for a nap and then somebody's knocking at the door and it's all loud and you're like, shut up, <laughs> baby's asleep. <laughs> that's all I could think about when I read that. I'm, that's <laughs> um, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Meaning, if the guy continues to stand there and knock on the door, he's going to get bread so the baby doesn't wake up. Or so that he can eventually sleep. If you stand and knock on that door long enough, in this neck of the woods, I imagine someone might show up with a shotgun or something, but... (laughs) If you're at Brooke's house. (laughs) Um, But but if you knock on the door enough, you know, he's going to come out. And he says, listen, this is just like how God responds to our prayer. You want God to answer you, pray. If he doesn't answer you right away, keep praying. If that doesn't work, keep praying. If that doesn't work, keep praying. Because eventually God's going to respond to you. What he looks for sometimes is persistence, um, which is that... A, under the, if we persist in prayer, God will answer. Um, and sometimes that answer, by the way, is by persisting in prayer, we change. There are a couple of guys, when I worked at Bachelor, there were a couple of young men who, who tried to get me fired. They were administrators. They were very high on the scale, and I was in a position where I had to work with them every day, and they tried to get me fired. And I, I went home angry every day. I went home so angry, I was making fists and gritting my teeth while I was driving. I couldn't get it out of my head. I was so mad. And a friend of mine said to me, well... You're, how's praying for him going? I thought, not. I'm not praying for those jerks. <laughs> and and he said, well, then you're disobeying Jesus. Like He said, pray for your enemies. So until you start praying for him, don't even bother. And I started praying for him. And you know what? They, they, they never stopped being jerks. They never apologized to me. But after a little while, as I prayed for good things to happen in their lives, good things started happening in their lives. And all of a sudden, I wasn't all that mad. I was pretty happy when good things happened with them. And when they were being jerks to me, I didn't really care because I was praying for them. And I thought, well, you know, they persecuted Jesus too. Well, you can, you can try and hurt me. It's okay. I, I still love you. I'm still going to pray for you. Because sometimes persistence, it just changes us, right? Um, but his point here is, listen, keep praying and God will answer. Not like the begrudging guy who says, go away. If you, if you go away, I'll give you something. Just go away. God responds, you know, because he loves us. This is the kind of parable where it's a contrast, not a comparison. So unlike this man who just responds to get you to go away, God will respond because you're persistent. Um, the promise is the final here. Um, this is another passage that we see a few times throughout the scriptures. Um, so I say to you, 
and it will be given to you. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, um, real quick here. The immediate read sometimes here is, and I would do this with kids at work before, you know, these like kids who are criminals, and they'd be like, yeah, I was in jail, and I asked for God to get me out of jail, and he sent me to drug treatment. <laughs> so I'm not so sure about this prayer thing, right? Um, ultimately, what they got was an answer. It wasn't the answer they were looking for. Um, I was I was working on the house before we moved here, and I had a uh, a razor knife, and I was cutting paint along the edge of a piece of trim that I was going to pull out. And Abby came along, and she saw me with that razor knife, and she grabbed it because it was shiny, and she wanted it. And being a good father, I said, "Go play with it, honey." Probably not, right? Um, I'm a good father. I like to tell myself that, and so I don't give my daughter things that might hurt her. I, I caught her with a set of pinking shears or whatever, those big scissors, and I turned around, and she had a big smile on her face and was running around the living room with them. And I said, nope. And I took them away, and she threw herself on the floor and screamed at me. I'm a bad father, right, because I took the scissors away. Well, no. There's, there's an obvious thing going on here, right? How do good fathers take care of their children? Well, if they're hungry, you feed them. If they want the razor knife, you say no. <laughs> or not yet, you're going to hurt yourself with that, Right? Um, at the parade yesterday, Abby kept trying to run out into the street, you know, and, and you'd want to hold her hand, and she want to have her hand hold. She wants to play. I want to play in the street. It's fun. But we don't do that, because that's not how a good father is. Um, part of what we see in this, um, first off, like the promise here is that God gives good gifts for his children. You pray, God takes care of you. Like, period. It is the truth of it. However, it doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you want, um, there are days I pray and say, God, I would really like that Corvette now. I haven't gotten it yet. If that's the car dealership. <laughs> Tell them I'll be with them in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're not going to hear the phone on the recording, so that's going to be all that much better. Um, so sometimes God does say yes. Sometimes when you're sitting in the parking lot and it's raining, you say, God, fix my car. God fixes your car, right? He sends a bunch of drunk guys to fix it for you. Sometimes when someone's sick and we say, God, fix this, God gives us a miracle. Sometimes when we say, God, I need this right now, God jumps in and he provides for us. Um, Jess isn't here. She wouldn't like me telling this story. Um, a couple of years ago, she had, a, she had an error in her, in her bill paying and she ended up um, having a choice between paying our mortgage and tithing. And she tithed. And then she crossed her fingers and held her breath. And four days later, we got a, a, a check from the mortgage company as a refund on our, on our escrow that was more than we would have paid on the mortgage. And Jess said, well, I prayed real hard and God provided. And he gave me money from the people I owed money to. <laughs> bit of irony there. Sometimes God says yes, and that's the amazing thing about praying. And sometimes the problem with it is, is that we don't ask. That's in James, right? You don't receive because you don't ask. Um, that's something Abby hasn't learned yet, and sometimes I think Christians haven't learned yet. You know, Abby sometimes will scream and scream and scream and scream, and you have to play the guessing game as to what's wrong. <laughs> Do you need to be changed? Did you hit your head? Is this about food? Is it time to sleep? <laughs> 
Is it just you need a little more duct tape? <laughs> if you don't ask, God isn't going to provide any probably Well, anyway. Um, sometimes God says no. Isn't it true? Sometimes I ask for things that aren't according to God's will. If I ask for something that's not according to God's will, he's not going to give it to me. In the same way as Abby sometimes asks for things that will hurt her. Right? Or sometimes Abby needs a spanking. I, I know, I'm not sure this is the country, maybe I can get away with saying that. <laughs> there are some days bad things come into my life because I need to be shaped. Right? It's just the truth. Sometimes we hurt because God needs to change us. Um, and it's just reality. Um, that isn't to say that every bad thing is to discipline from God. Don't hear me saying that, but sometimes that's what's happening. Paul said that. Um, I received a messenger from Satan, a thorn in my side. may have been like malaria or blindness or something, and he asked God over and over again, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God finally says, you know what? It's there because I want it there. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, okay, if that's what God wants, I'll be happy when I'm miserable because that's what God wants. Not your will, but or not my will, but yours. Um, and sometimes God just says, "Wait, right?" Sometimes we pray for things, and God just wants us to hang out and wait for it. Um, there's there's many a young lady who, who wants the perfect husband, and she prays for the perfect husband, and then she settles for the first jerk she finds because she's pretty sure that's what God wanted. And it's not about what God wanted; it's about what I wanted, right? Sometimes wait is the right answer. That's Abraham's answer, right? Abraham wants a son, and what does God say? Give me ten years. <laughs> you know, give me a few more years. And God says, well, or Abraham says, well, what about the slave girl? Well, we'll make a baby with her. That'll work. And Ishmael, the son, ends up being kind of a headache. And it's a headache by his own doing because he tries to force God's hand because God's answer was wait. Um, sometimes that, that's what God wants us to do. Sometimes we need to sit with our kids while they're sick, and it's not cool, right? It's not fun. Sometimes we have to be miserable, but wait is the answer we're getting. Um, I'm going to give a couple of things kind of in my closing here, um, like practical things. My challenge for you this week is to spend some time praying. Talk to God. Um, Now, when you do this, right, first off, you don't need to publish it. It's not, you know, conversations between you and God aren't conversations between the world, you and God. It's between you and God. So this is between you and God. This is you and your Father, right? Your Father in Heaven. Um, Sometimes we give God the scraps. Um, When I was working an awful lot, I would come home at night, and Abby and um, Jessica would would get five to ten minutes of my attention because I was whipped. Because I had school and I had work and everything else. And all of those things were soaking up about 90% of my attention. And Abby and Mom got the scraps. Where's my priority at that point? It ain't on my relationship with my wife and my daughter. If I'm playing with Abby for five minutes before she goes to bed, and I'm talking to Jess for 15 minutes before the TV gets turned on because I'm too tired to do anything else, my priorities are screwed up. I talked to a young lady once who said, yeah, I pray. God doesn't ever do anything with it. And I say, all right, let me guess. You pray in the shower, you pray in the toilet, and you pray for the five minutes before you fall asleep. Well, yeah, I guess. I'm like, well, if you give God the leftovers, what do you think you're going to get? If my relationship with my wife and daughter is the five minutes of my too exhausted time to deal with anything else, then I'm going to get what I'm going to get. And that's a crummy relationship with my wife, and it's a crummy relationship with my daughter. And the effects of all of that are going to play out. If God gets my scraps, that's where my relationship with God is going to be. 
Um, so as you pray this week, take the time and ask yourself, what's God getting out of me? Is he getting the prime cut of steak or is he getting to the stuff that I might throw to the dogs at the end of the day? Um, and what do you want to give him in the end? Um, how much time are we doing it? Is it the five minutes? Is it the ten minutes? Martin Luther um, was reported to pray like two to three hours a day. One time he uh, was asked by one of his students, well, you've got a really busy week this week. What are you going to do? Are you going to cut back on the prayer time? He's like, no, I'm going to get up a little earlier and spend an extra hour because if i got that much to do, I need God. Um, do we view it as an inconvenience or is it a part of what we do? Is it the source of our daily bread so we got to do it before we go to work? Or is it the side effect that we're saying thank you to cover our bases? Like, how are you praying to him? Is it prime cut or is it leftovers? And are we worshiping? Like, I, I'm firmly in the belief, and I think the scriptures firmly support this idea. Read the Psalms. Every Psalm praises, right? Do we worship God when we pray? Is prayer about him or is prayer about us? Um, because ultimately, like, one of the biggest things we can get out of prayer, and it's in the passage, right? How much more will God give his spirit to those who ask? Not how much more Ferraris and Corvettes will God give to those who ask? How many more winning lottery tickets will God give to those who ask? It's how much more of his spirit will he give to those who ask? So if I'm going to go to God in prayer, my persistence results in me being closer to him. I receive his spirit, right? Um, and so the question arises, am I praising? Is it about him so that he can invade my life? Or is it about me so I can spend time talking about me? Um, my challenge for you is to spend some time this week praying. You know, if you want to do great things in this church, if you want to do great things in the lives of those around you, if you want to see God move in a mighty way, it begins with, it begins with this. It begins with talking to God, right? Um, it's the foundation of every successful, like, amazing ministry. Um, let's go to God in prayer and let's, let's take some time to talk to Him together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would Help us to recognize how amazing you are, God. Help us to, to stand with you and, and, you know, make us into the kinds of people that, that folks would look at us and, and say, wow, their God must be holy. Their God must be different. Um, Lord God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way in the lives of these folks. Help them to come to you on their knees daily and, and come to you in powerful ways, Lord, because prayer... Um, the prayers of the righteous man are powerful and effective, and I pray that you would just just help them to draw on that, so that we can be a church that that brings honor to you and and expands your kingdom. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.